1: Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
2: And I thought, well, I guess we're not going to find out what goes on here, but my first thought was if this is open to the public, if anyone can come and see this, why can't we? What do they have to hide? From the Fox 6 studios, this is Open Record.
1: We're investigative reporters breaking down the big stories, what it took to get them, taking you behind the scenes. It's the stuff we couldn't tell you on TV.
0: On this episode, the fountain of youth, or is it? The rise of stem cell therapy and the investigation raising questions about the experimental treatment. Hello, everyone. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire, here with Jenna Sachs. Hi. And Brian Polson.
2: And I feel like I should say, like, the dean of the staff or something <laughs> because of where of this is staff. going. So, Well,
0: yeah. So, our full disclosure, our scripts say this is the part where Brian talks about being old.
2: <laughs> well, uh, does it say being – it does say talks about talks being Talks about old, being old. I would old. say getting older, but, you know, yeah, I guess comparatively so it's diplomatic.
1: Table. Why probably, are we supposed to talk about how old you are?
2: Well, because it leads into where we're going with this. This is called a transition. Yes. We do this sometimes I was in television giving you and an radio. Open yeah, to yeah make no, that thank you. Transition. Oh, thank you so much. But anyway, so I'm yeah, I am one of the older ones here, so I'm probably feeling more of the just aches and pains of age. I'd like to say it's because I just work out so hard, but I think it's just because age is catching up. And it's an unavoidable truth. Oh, that's your line, Amanda. I just took your line.
0: That's okay. I, I was go going ahead. to say, being in the last year of my twenties, I'm really, you know, feeling the aging here. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop.
2: Mm. It keeps going.
0: But we
1: are all getting older. That's a fact. And if you aren't yet dealing with aches and pains and degenerating joints, you may have parents who are.
2: We all know this is just the course of nature. Our bodies start to wear out over time. But especially for people who are really suffering from from various kinds of pain, what if you could reverse that process? You could actually regrow tissue that would heal your aching back or hips or shoulders, knees, ankles, whatever it is. Well, that's exactly what some medical clinics are promising as they advertise stem cell therapy. It's exciting. It has tremendous potential. But the reality is we're still very early on in it. We haven't had the kind of clinical trials that ordinarily precede the approval of a product.
1: I think that is threatening a a
2: lot of the good stem cell research that's going on. I hope it's the thing of the future, but I would just like to know more. If you're going to sell a medical product, it has to be effective and safe enough for the purpose you're advertising.
0: So this promise comes with a really big caution flag. Brian, you reported on clinics offering stem cell treatments almost a year ago.
2: Can you believe it was almost a year ago? Because it seems like it was yesterday. It
0: does. Well, and it really is an ongoing issue. I know we still get emails about this because the FDA is still warning the public about this issue. So what's the big concern here?
2: Well, the concern from the FDA's point of view is that these are treatments or therapies that haven't been rigorously tested or approved. But still, hundreds of clinics, now it's probably thousands, across the country, uh, including dozens of clinics right here in Wisconsin, are aggressively marketing some of these techniques, and they're selling stem cell injections in many cases that cost thousands of dollars apiece without any clinical proof that they are safe or even that they work. And the clinics are not exactly eager to talk about that, as you can hear in this exchange that took place between me and a spokesperson for one clinic called Wisconsin Stem Cell. Is it approved by the FDA?
1: It is regulated by the
2: FDA. Is it approved for this use? It hasn't been approved yet. It is regulated. Okay.
1: So, Brian, why did you decide to look into this?
2: Well, so it was about a year ago this time that I'd gotten a call or an email. It was a tip from an older woman who ended up not wanting to be interviewed, but she was suffering from knee pain. And she said her knees were almost, at least one of them was almost bone on bone. And she had heard about a local clinic that was offering stem cell treatments. And she heard about it because they were advertising free seminars at local hotels. In this case, there was one at a Brookfield hotel. So she went to this seminar and was intrigued by what she heard. And then she tells her daughter about it. Hey, I want to do this. What do you think? And her daughter was a little more hesitant. And she looked up some information about the doctors who were involved. And she said, you need to go to Fox 6 News and have them look into this because I just don't know that this is right. She wanted us to find out, is this a legitimate treatment Or is this just some kind of modern-day snake oil?
0: So before you tell us about that, I do think it is good for us to step back because when I hear stem cells, I think embryonic stem cells, which that was the controversy when all of this started to come out. So what are stem cells in the first place? Well, and
2: you're right about embryonic. The, the, The discovery of stem cells actually goes back to 1998, so a little more than 20 years ago now. They were discovered at the University of Wisconsin. So we here in Wisconsin have a big place in the history of this whole technology. But what stem cells themselves are, they're master cells that can transform into any other type of cell in the body, whether it's heart cells, lung cells, cartilage, bone. And so because of that ability, they're sort of like these master key cells. Because they can be sort of grown or transformed to other things, there's a lot of promise that one day it is hoped and believed that they could be used to help cure cancer, Parkinson's, heart disease, all sorts of ailments. And there are all kinds of studies going on. The University of Wisconsin has a stem cell and regenerative medicine center with, I think, like 100 scientists who are studying all sorts of stem cell lines. And so there's a lot of potential, but there isn't a lot in terms of approved treatments yet that's come out of that research.
1: I feel like I usually hear about stem cells spoken about in a very positive way, about the promise of them, like you had mentioned For before. For good reason, too. Right. This is kind of a different flip of the coin.
2: Sure. Right. Yeah. You're looking
1: into some of the concerns because they aren't tested
2: as much. Well, and, and, and what, what you have here is that there are, this is sort of one of those umbrella type issues where mm-hmm. stem cells can be used in a lot of ways in terms of healthcare research and potential therapies. There are only a limited number of uh, actual procedures that are already approved by the by the government, um, and, and that includes, I think, one for dealing with a certain type of, uh, might be bone cancer, actually off the top of my head I can't say for sure, but a certain type of cancer and some blood disorders, mm-hmm. but where it's really getting a lot of use now and, and a lot of the sort of marketing, maybe a, a little ahead of the curve, is uh, in injections of stem cells that purportedly can regrow tissue because one of the most common ailments that people start to suffer as they age is whether it's rheumatoid arthritis, uh, a loss of, of tissue in the bones and joints, joint pain is a major, major thing. And there aren't a lot of options short of surgery. As you start to lose some of this, there's no way to get your cartilage back. Although now that's what the promise of this is, is, that, well, if we can put these stem cells in there, we can start to grow the cartilage back and give you more of that cushion, relieve the pain. And and you can do that. The problem is because these are experimental, essentially treatments, or they're not clinically approved and and uh, sanctioned by the FDA, they're not covered by insurance. So if a medical clinic is offering a treatment, they say one injection is going to cost you four or $5,000, you're paying out of pocket for something that you're taking to some degree on faith that it's going to work.
0: So to be clear, too, when we talk about this, we're not necessarily talking about embryonic. No, stem no. Cells. In
2: fact, uh, there are, there are a number of other sources. Stem cells were controversial in the beginning because the only original source known was to get them from embryos, and of course that raises a lot of ethical questions, and it's why it was hard for a long time to secure for researchers to secure funding because there was political controversy behind money going toward that. But since then. Adult stem cells have been discovered in other sources. Umbilical cord tissue is a source of stem cells, and that's stuff that's going to be discarded during a birth anyway. So if it can be secured and harvested and, and used, um, it's, it's not nearly as controversial. You're not obviously talking about dealing with uh, the ethical issues of embryos. So the stem cells being used here, and in fact, the, the, the clinic that we focused on, Wisconsin Stem Cell, in their hotel seminars, they talk about getting this from, I believe it's, uh, it's umbilical cord tissue tissue. Um, that they get from a lab who supplies them the materials that are used then in the injections.
0: So investigate stem cells. That's a very wide net. Where did you start to focus your investigation? What steps did you take to decipher what's legitimate, what's not?
2: Well, and the the first thing for me, so the, the viewer who came to us said she didn't want to be interviewed. Um, she wanted us she wanted an answer. She wanted to know, does this work? And you know, that's not necessarily what we always do, but I knew this applied to an awful lot of people. What stood out to me was the marketing of a medical procedure through hotel seminars. And not that there's anything illegal about that or necessarily anything wrong with that, except that's not a real typical way that medical clinics advertise what they do. And
0: that's usually how they do high-pressure sales. That will in, like,
2: through the course of my career, absolutely, Amanda. That is where I have come across high-pressure sales, was in these hotel presentations. And when you have an elderly population that is, by and large, the, the ones who are going to be attracted to this, you have people who are potentially vulnerable to a high-pressure sales pitch. Uh, so that's what I was wondering if we would see. Um, and what
1: happened when you went to these seminars? That,
2: so that was just it. We wanted to go to one of these seminars, and you could sign up online, and there was, they didn't ask a lot of questions, so we signed up. Um, and uh, in fact, our producer, Pete, signed up for one of the seminars, and I came along with him. What was interesting here is I've been doing this for 15 years in Milwaukee, and even though I've been on the air that whole time, I still don't get a lot of facial recognition because our investigations are on every so often. And uh, so I'm not – always recognized when I go places. Which
0: can be a good thing.
2: It can be. And this is one of those cases where I thought, well, maybe I can just kind of sneak in under the radar and listen to this pitch. Well, uh, producer Pete and I sat down and we had a hidden camera with us and we were ready to record this seminar. And before it got started, one of the uh, people who had been checking people in had had some time to think about me after I passed. And Mm -hmm. she came up to our table and said... Can you come outside for a minute? I need to talk to you. And she recognized me. She realized who I worked for and she said, I'm sorry, this is only for uh, potential patients and we're going to have to ask you to leave. And I thought, well, I guess we're not going to find out what goes on here. But my first thought was, if this is open to the public, if anyone can come and see this, why can't we? What do they have to hide? So Pete was still inside waiting for this thing to begin. And I, I asked him, I said, you know, is there something that we can't see? that you're telling the public, I mean, I'd like to sit in on this. And they uh, reluctantly allowed us to stay and watch the presentation, but they did ask us not to record. They, In fact, they asked everyone there not to record um, what was going on. So I took notes and uh, took that information. And that was the beginning of the investigation. Even after that, I wanted to do an interview with them. They had invited us out to see the clinic, to see what they were doing. And after we got back from the presentation, I tried several times to arrange an on-camera interview and said, let's Come out there and see what you guys – if it's so exciting, if this is going to save so many people from all of this pain, let's see what you're doing. And uh, they ultimately decided not to do an interview.
0: Well, and then in the meantime, while you were trying to get that interview, you were also doing your own research and you uncovered some interesting things about the doctors involved. So what were you doing when they were – essentially denying you the access they had promised you before.
2: certainly I'm reading all the articles I can and things out there. But knowing that the University of Wisconsin has this regenerative medicine center, my first thought was, well, what do they think about all of this? So I reached out to UW and talked to the doctor, um, I think it's Timothy Camp, who is the head of that UW stem cell and regenerative medicine center. And on the phone, he said, I'm so glad you're doing this because – they're concerned that clinics that are doing this kind of premature, what he considers sort of premature um, marketing of these procedures, he said that they could be doing damage, doing harm to otherwise very promising research because there's a process that medical research follows and it goes through rigorous clinical testing, gets approval for a certain use, and then it can go to market. And he was, he was concerned that there could be safety concerns or people just being misled into thinking that they're going to get benefits that haven't been proven,
1: but it is legal to do this and to use these treatments. It's
2: yes and no. It's 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 a gray area and it's questionable because the 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 FDA does regulate medical procedures and um, the FDA has received some criticism on this issue for not having done enough uh, to s- pardon the expression, but stem the tide of so many clinics across the country offering these procedures. It seems many of them are sort of operating in a way that they're technically not providing a medical procedure, or they're not providing a stem cell treatment. They're doing, and they're. It, it would be hard for me after a year to recount what the various delineations were, but it was clear that the stem cell clinics had to be careful of what they said about what they were doing with the material. You can't manipulate the material in certain ways. Um, they're very, lim- you know strict limitations on what they can do and what they can promise and what they can say they're doing to stay away from FDA regulation. So this most recent warning from the FDA comes out on September 3rd. And, you know, they do say researchers are hoping one day this is going to be effective in treating many medical conditions. Um, but for now, the FDA is concerned. Some patients who are seeking these cures and remedies are vulnerable to treatments that are either illegal or potentially harmful, or both. And so they say they're now finally increasing their oversight of these things. What that exactly means and how it's going to come down, it's hard to say. But they said, if you're a consumer, if you want to stay safe and you want to be sure, look for treatments that are either, one, FDA-approved, which there are very few right now with stem cells, or two, that are at least being studied under an Investigational New Drug Application, IND for short, That's basically just a clinical investigation that's been submitted to the FDA, and they've said, okay, we approve you looking into this. So it's under government guidance.
1: Okay. So we recently shot a podcast where we talked about the threshold that insurance companies have for approving their coverage of certain treatments would any of these kind of treatments be covered by insurance?
2: The injections we're talking about, by and large, no, because they haven't been approved and because they aren't part of these. I don't even know if they, they would do something while it was in that sort of investigational stage. Um, until their FDA approved, most likely not. And, and again, the FDA is saying, wait. Now, there are some people who would argue, and I'm sure many of these clinics would say, that approval process is a long, slow process, and these are promising therapies, and there's people who need it. We want to get it out there. If they're willing to pay out of pocket they should be able to take the chance and do this. The concern is, number one, people being misled into spending thousands on something that they don't know if it's going to work. But number two, there are potential harms from this. There were uh, a couple of women in Florida who went to a clinic and received stem cell injections in their eyes for ocular degeneration and, uh, and went blind. So there are potential harms. The sort of orthopedic uses for joints and things there haven't been as many horror stories i'm not sure really aware of any real harmful horror stories but you always always have concerns about infection and other things the biggest question is are you getting your money's worth is it really fixing your knees and and other joints and regrowing tissue
0: so my question is if they're not approved by the fda why can so many clinics offer this so we talk about the difference between being approved being regulated If you're not approved and it takes so long to get that approval, why can so many of these clinics pop up?
2: There are certainly a lot of drugs that are used in off-label ways. Doctors might prescribe a drug that's meant for one thing and say, well, we've heard it works for this other way. It's not approved for that other use, but it's off-label use. This is essentially sort of an off-label use of of these kinds of you know stem cell materials, I guess that's the best way. I, I'm not. I'm not kind an of like people using birth control law, to
0: treat other sure. Issues. It,
2: so it's legal, I suppose. Although it's still a gray area because it's not clear. The FDA has said at times these are illegal treatments. They just haven't cracked down on its widespread use. What they've done is they've focused their enforcement efforts on the clinics that are offering the most or the riskiest treatments like the injections in the eyes and things like that because they want to keep people safe, but they either haven't had the manpower or the willpower or whatever it is to go after all of these other clinics that are doing the the more orthopedic-type injections. And that's not to say it doesn't work. The question is we don't know. There aren't these rigorous studies that say it does work. And what really I think I I looked at in the process of reporting this was at the seminar – There were people there who were interested. They have hip and knee and other issues, and they spoke up and said, "Okay, you're telling me that you have anecdotal evidence that your patients say this works. That the patients say that makes them feel better. What actual evidence do you have? Do you take follow-up X-rays? Do you say here's what your knee looked like before? Because they were showing X-rays in the seminar. Pete remembers this. They would show an X-ray of a degenerated knee. Look at this. It's almost bone on bone. There's no material there." After our injections, you know, you'll see all this regrowth and it'll be better. So they asked, well, where are the after pictures? They weren't taking them. And I ended up coming across a guy who we featured in the story, Greg Young, a former uh, police chaplain who does a lot of crisis intervention training and travels all around the country. And Greg got one of these injections because he's, he's still doing a lot where he's on his feet all the time. And he was having severe knee pain. He had an injection and went through a lot of physical therapy and then agreed to do a testimonial. So he had a video on the website. Now, they only used his first name and last initial, but it wasn't hard for me to trace who he was. And I contacted him and said, I'd like to talk to you about your experience. And when I interviewed him, one of my questions was, did they ever do any follow-up x-rays? Have you been able to see what kind of regrowth has happened? It had been eight months. And he said, you know, no, that was the one thing I was really disappointed in is they didn't do any kind of follow up to show me the regrowth but he said he felt better. Hmm. He said he thought it had improved but he also pointed out that he had done they they wanted him after the injection to do a lot of physical therapy and he said I don't really know if it was the injection or the physical therapy that made my knee better. He thinks maybe it was a little bit of both.
0: So if this is something we're studying to see the effects we have a lot of variables We don't have a lot of actual evidence about the effects. It doesn't sound like an open and shut study, and this is why a lot of insurance companies will say, this is why we don't cover experimental treatments. And that's
2: what really blew me away about Greg Young is that he's one of the people on the website that they're using as an example of, see, this works, and even he said, actually, I can't tell you it works. I don't know if it does or it doesn't. He was starting to have more knee pain again, but he wrote it off and chalked it up to bone spurs that had nothing to do with the ear. Well, all I know is this. He got the injections. He's never seen an x-ray to show any additional growth of of tissue, and he's still having knee pain. So did it work? It's hard to say. Um, That's what clinical trials do is they isolate those variables so that you find some people did physical therapy with the injections. Some people didn't do it. Some people got placebos. Some people didn't. Um, And that's when you come to find out, do these things really work, as opposed to, what do our patients say? After you've spent six or seven or eight thousand dollars, you doggone want that stuff to have worked. So a lot of people will say, Yeah, I think it worked, because people want to be better and they want to believe they didn't waste their money.
0: As as a side note, many of your stories, but especially this one, have taught me the importance too of looking up the doctors involved. Oh,
2: of course. And yeah. whatever
0: you're doing, because some of the stuff you uncovered about People involved in this, and you can find it in any practice. But I, I wouldn't want someone with those kinds of medical histories doing medical work on me.
2: It, well, in, in in this case, it was Wisconsin Stem Cell Therapy who uh, advertises a lot, radio, television, all over the place. Um, so they're really heavily marketing this, and. In, on their website and all of their materials, I couldn't find any uh, indication of who owned the clinic, but I ultimately was able to discover that it was owned by a doctor, uh, a chiropractor named Dr. Scott Rise, and that name rung a bell to me, and I couldn't remember why. Well, it turned out many years ago, I had actually done a story on uh, a business partner of his, um, and it was an attorney who had had his license, I think, either revoked or suspended because of a kickback scheme he'd worked out with a local chiropractor. Well, it turned out that chiropractor was Dr. Scott Rise. So Dr. Rise had had his license uh, suspended for 90 days many years ago. And when I contacted him about this story, his response was essentially, you know, that was overblown its way in the past. And, you know, is there any statutory limitations for my, you know, uh, former, you know, issues or whatever. Um, but we felt it was important viewers know the owner of the clinic has a little bit of this questionable history of, you know, some questionable decision making. And there was another doctor in the clinic doing the injections who was an OBGYN, but has since been ordered by the state not to do any obstetrics because of mistakes that were made in surgeries and births and things like that. So it's someone who has, still has a valid medical license, but has been limited from doing the very thing she was an expert in, um, who's now giving these injections. It just raises questions when they're dealing with an experimental treatment that you're paying a lot of money for, and then you've got physicians who have some uh, check marks on their background. uh, it's certainly, I think, for some of the people we interviewed in the story, it raised concerns.
0: It sounds like the takeaway of this is if you're going to move forward, do so with caution.
2: Absolutely. And, in, and as you said, research, look into it, ask these questions. If you go to a clinic that offers this and they say, we do before and after x-rays and we can show you the tissue growth, then you know, give me some referrals. I want to talk to those other patients this has happened to. Or if you have people who want to give testimonials, I want to see the evidence. Um, and, and, and as the FDA says, ask, is it approved? And if not, is it at least a part of an approved investigational new drug study? Well, that's the dinner bell, which means it's time for our dinner party question.
0: This is a weekly segment where we answer questions we most often get asked as journalists at parties or different events or even just when we're out and about.
1: But there's a catch, we have no idea what the question is. There's several envelopes in front of us, and I'm going to pick one at random. Here we go. I got one.
2: Okay. Is this gonna be another question you've submitted?
1: I hope I don't know. I don't know. I submitted a few. Here we go.
2: Like a long I don't question. think I did this
1: one, but it's a good one. Um, broadcast journalism is often portrayed on television and in the movies. Do you think the portrayals are accurate? <laughs> do you have any examples?
2: It's fun watching movies with, uh, with Denise, my wife, because if there's any portrayal of anything to do with uh, therapy or, or psychology, she's a, a trained licensed therapist, then she'll just pick it apart. And I think, well, come on, you're ruining the movie. I thought it was pretty good. But then if there's anything to do with news or journalism, I immediately tear it apart. Like, come on, it's not like that.
0: There there was one scene, I forget what it was from, but the, the reporter had an error in a story, and so they needed, the, it was seconds before air, the reporter needed to essentially reread the line with different information, and they had the reporter do it over the phone, they recorded it, and seamlessly inserted it in the story seconds before air, and I... You know it that that doesn't happen. It doesn't sound like that.
1: I always love the portrayal of the breaking news reporter because they are somehow able to get past the police tape and like <laughs> up next to the fire without and, getting arrested. Like, the fireman is carrying a person out of the building, and they're right there when they step out the door with their microphone. When they would never have been Isn't anywhere near that. Just near in a that. Netflix movie, yes, did we just it, watch the same? Yes, one? it was. <laughs> Yep. There was, it was a rom-com, wasn't it? It and was. The photographer is and then always, you fall in
0: love with a firefighter. She does, doesn't yep. she?
1: Yep. Um, but the, the photographer, <laughs> I would be offended if I was a photojournalist looking at all the photographers in these shows because they're always like overweight, Gruff. badly dressed, chewing gum. Kind of, you know, they they take like the... The brunt brunt of it. it. The the reporter always looks so together and the reporter is always so driven. There's no human side of her. I'm going to get this information. That's my job. But, you know, there's a lot of nuance that goes into what we do. We aren't always, you know, showing up with the camera rolling. We'll talk to you about things and be reasonable, too.
0: My least favorite trope about women in movies or TV in general, is this woman who is so focused on her career and forgot about everything else in her life, but then suddenly she falls in love and her life now has meaning. That's like the plot of every Hallmark Christmas movie that I still watch. We but, really need to look up the title <laughs> to this Netflix movie. <laughs> we do. Movie. We do, but that's that's what happens, and I feel like with reporters, it it for whatever reason, that gets exacerbated even more when the reality is... Most of us are normal people with normal lives. And yes, we have ambition, but we also have, uh, you know, personal lives and are very human. So, but I I think that's any profession that's portrayed in any way. I'm sure police officers don't enjoy how they get portrayed in movies or on TV and sit there and pick apart, you know, law and order and things like that. You know what I love about police
2: officer portrayal in movies is the best detective or the best cop is always the one who has to break the rules and will turn in his badge and gun, but is still going to go out and solve that crime. Yeah. Like, that's the only way crimes get solved is if you're willing to turn in your badge and gun. But I would And you, in
0: reality, that's the kind of person we would do yeah, an investigative absolutely. report on.
2: Now, in, in terms of movies portraying broadcast news, there are the good ones like broadcast news.
1: <laughs> yeah. That
2: is like, if you're in the business, that's the one people go, okay, that yep. was about as realistic as, as I think it gets, especially back in the days of tape when yeah. you were literally running tapes down the hallway. It,
0: d- it didn't hold up to how the industry is now, but for that time, it, it was, was an it was accurate reflection. Movie.
2: And then and then there are ones that aren't intended to be realistic, but were just great portrayals. I mean, I loved Anchorman. I still love Anchorman. <laughs> it's great comedy. You don't, ex- you know, I mean, the the sort of, obviously, the, the news team brawl and everything is, is right. absurd, but hilarious. But I don't look at that as being – that was never meant to be an authentic portrayal. right? Um, it was obviously a satire on 70s TV, local TV. But the one that – like the stuff that I just can't stand. And it's no secret. I don't think I've made any secret that I'm not a fan of Drew Barrymore. And I'm sorry, Drew. You're oh. a wonderful actress. I know some Wait, people – Wait. Is that's this a, terrible, a well-known
0: thing? This is the just, first time I'm hearing about it. It's the this. first time it's
2: come up here. Other people who know me know that. And I often get criticized like I'm a horrible person for not liking <laughs> Drew Barrymore You seem in movies. very sensitive about this. But there's Wedding one particular – you I love the wedding. Si- I love the wedding singer. That's maybe the only movie I can stand her in, but and it, it, it maybe Firestarter. That's about it. Okay, but <laughs> Drew Barrymore, never been if you're hit. listening, I think you're great. <laughs> I, I, and I didn't say she's a she's a wonderful actress, and I'm sure a beautiful human being. There's just something, you know, some people. There's a, an actor or actress that <laughs> sure. just grates on you, right? She's yeah, never been people hear this feel podcast. about
1: us. Yeah, if
2: she heard this podcast, I'd be excited. I'd be honored.
1: <laughs> so um, why don't what is this?
2: So, to do Never Been Kissed, the movie, right? Isn't that the one where she oh, goes back to, yeah. her back to high school? Highly
0: unethical. She's yep.
2: 20-something years old, supposedly, in the movie, and they send her back to high school. And she, they send her in with a As a, a journalist. Pin. It's just a pin that clips on. There's no wires. There's no anything. There's a lapel pin she wears that has perfect HD video and perfect <laughs> audio at all times. That they're all watching live connected. back in they're the They're watching live in a van. There's never a battery issue. There is never a signal <laughs> issue. It is all. It is always framed. Ideally, as a person who has spent many, many years doing hidden camera work, it never works like that.
0: Also, just the highly unethical nature of sending a grown-up into a high school under false premises... And then getting involved in a teacher. There are many layers There's of a lot bad of, things. a lot
1: of movies like that where the reporter goes undercover and she eventually falls in love because it's always a she. Or maybe sometimes he, they fall in love with the person they're profiling, but they've been lying to them the whole time. There's a lot of ethical errors that yeah. are happening there about how we present ourselves and have conversations with people when we're in these undercover, quote-unquote, situations. So those would never get to that point because no. the story wouldn't be able to run.
2: My favorite Portrayal of journalism and investigative reporters in a movie, we'd never be able to do what he did for a number of legal reasons. But Fletch, I mean Fletch, he's a he's like a co- you guys. You have we to know Fletch. right? I don't, don't know Fletch, I don't know, I don't know okay. what you're talking about. You know who Chevy about. Chase is right. yes, yes, yes I know who Chevy Chase. You know Clark is. Griswold. Yes, Okay, right. he was in this movie called Fletch. <laughs> I can't believe i'm saying this <laughs> well this play. started with you so talking knows, about how old you are it's come back full newspaper circle newspaper reporter he's an investigative reporter for a chicago paper and he gets sent out and he has to bust a drug ring on the beach and he finds the police chief and <laughs> at the top of it all but <laughs> along the way he lies and uses disguises and all sorts of things and steals files and gets and i think we can never do any of that it would be great if we could i guess but I'm laughing never, at like,
0: Jenna's facial expression as you look, explain all right, do you guys, this right now. We have
2: now? homework before the next episode. Okay. Before the next episode, you guys need to go watch Fletch. We should all sure. do. We should do like a Fletch night with the C6 and Investigate team. We'll do team. that
0: <laughs> we'll do that at the same time we finally take you makeup shopping. I will say, um, not to I'm waiting, but not to drag out the conversation. Spot the movie Spotlight. I was gonna say that's a great one. And that where, was one where well. that was that was one where I didn't feel like they added unnecessary drama because the story itself was just very good. Um, you didn't have a bunch of reporters who all suspiciously looked like models like they were just normal people they played out some normal conversations and I grew up in New England when all of this stuff was coming out and just the the timeline I, I thought that was actually a very accurate portrayal of journalists. It's not necessarily broadcast, but journalism itself,
1: I thought. And what was, was the famous movie about Watergate? There was one about All The, the President's, President's Men. Men. That of course, was a yeah. A
2: great book and then, of course, movie as well. But you know, with Spotlight and having watched that, what, what I was, uh, I think probably, especially because we work in television investigations, and, and there's that sort of like dream that you could have the one big story that for months they say, don't work on anything else but that. Your whole team is going to be on that one story. It would be incredible. I know it's not realistic in this day and age um, because there's – we've got to get stuff on the air. There's, there's time to fill. But that – I sort of watched that sort of in awe of, of how amazing and how powerful that is to have a team that's focused on breaking such an impactful story. Yeah.
0: So the goal is to be more like Spotlight and less like
2: Anchorman, Anchorman
0: or Netflix movies. If you have a question you want the open record team to answer, let us know. Send us an email at the investigators at fox6now.com. That's the T H E investigators at FoxXnow.com. Thanks for listening to Open Record. We'd also like to thank the people behind the scenes making this podcast happen. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, and
1: Leanne Watson. If you enjoy listening, let us know. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts.
2: And don't forget to check out Fox 6's other podcasts, Definitely Milwaukee with Carl Deffenbaugh. And if you want more Open Record, just head to our website, fox 6 <laughs>